No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. <laughs> um, he's from like what, rural Illinois, and I'm from New Hampshire. Chicago, that sounds bad. Okay, wow. And you're from Florida, so we're really kind of like rounding out like white yeah. trash America. Yeah, I actually never really been to New Hampshire. Really? Yeah, it's not the last state I haven't really done a show in. Not a lot of people dancing there. Yeah, but it's close to Montreal, isn't it? Six-hour drive. You know, like the big city where like shit pops off at. Montreal? Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you, know, you have right? to drive like six hours north. Or Vermont. That's why people from Vermont go to Montreal. Vermont might honestly be like a more plausible place for you to perform, but I recently on a rap tour went to Vermont and there was goddamn nobody there. Vermont, I feel like, has that weird kind of EDM that's like they still want to be hippies. Well, yeah, but I think Vermont has a ski resort and it's like the people like this snowboarding and stuff there, right? If like, I had gone like, to yeah. skiing or snowboarding, my life would have like been a lot more of a natural process. Instead, I was into like rap, which yeah. you're in New Hampshire, it doesn't make sense. You're into, you know, okay, I, I gotta ask this. Are you aware of our ongoing meme where we always refer to you as a close personal friend of the podcast? No, but there was a good meme where I was uh, with... Uh, the kid from Philly, the fidget spinner rapper, and it was Magic like Maddox. Yeah, Maddox was a fan. It was just, I thought it was pretty funny. Oh, okay. I think Cash probably made that. I'm yeah. gonna give him credit for that. Only if it's a good meme, Cash did it. Yeah, because we always I don't know where exactly what it came from, but you know, it's just the kind of thing where people just mention Diplo a lot on the show, and then at some point we just started like pretending that we were like really really good friends with you, even though neither of us had ever met you. <laughs> well, it's good to link up finally. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree about that. I think this is you know I was watching you know you're you're a weird case because if you search Diplo interview on YouTube, it's not that many good interviews that come up even though I'm, a, I'm sure you've done tons of press i mean there's lots of I've done, I've done like the whole radio circuit like i've done like power i've done like hot 97 like stuff with ebro who i've known for years and there's a lot of good interviews that are like political though like i've, I've gone deep interviews with like people like i've done like full-on uh you know like ted talk style interviews right for, like billboard awards and like grammys and like universities when i talk about like the kind of the social effects of what I do with music, things like that. But those are hard to find. It'd right. be really dorky to go into the YouTube K-hole of my interviews. I was watching this, like, one where this old bastard was interviewing you and Skrillex, and he just, the first question was, do you guys consider yourselves oh. music well, Charlie, or musicians? Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose, right. He goes, do you <laughs> consider Rose. yourself musicians or something else? And well, I'm just sitting there last night watching this, like, what the fuck kind of question is that? Well, the thing about Charlie Rose, which, like, kind of, like, R. Peter's career, he's just awesome, because he was the first guy to, like, really... To like make something academic out of our music, he was able to like translate what we do as like DJs or like rappers or whatever to like normal people. Like mm. he just like he's like the guy from Sixty Minutes, you know what I'm saying? So he has to ask pretty dumb questions, but he was like a really he's really smart. Mm. He's, he's like a legend in that era. But he got me too out of the oh shit, game. damn, he did. What did he do? You remember? He literally, I think the thing was like he. I love that. Was that's walking around. Now. Was walking around. <laughs> me too. I think he walked around <laughs> naked or something or, or around an intern. I don't remember, but I feel mm. like. For all the people that do that are evil in the world of Hollywood, he was like a sweet, like nice guy, and I feel like it's always the sweet, nice guys who are out here that, that are that, yeah, exposing the darkness, exposing themselves, walking around naked and stuff. He didn't walk around naked around me, but oh. it was he was he's pretty cool. No state of undress. No, nah, he was cool. He went to Cuba with me actually. Went to a concert there. So How many times like, have you been to Cuba? Two times. I went one time. Did you go for like a tourism? Like I went because my dad is a weirdo who likes to go random ass places, and he just went to Cuba and he's like, "You want to go with me?" I kind of felt what like I had to. What year was that? Maybe like five years ago, something like that. So, yeah, kind of like in the middle of it was. It wasn't like normal yet. I guess it's well. We went down there and did a show two years ago, and it was like the craziest thing that ever happened in Havana in the last twenty years. But I went down there with a reggaeton group called Kai Today. So he was from Puerto Rico, and they did like another crazy show, and I did like an after party at the Puerto Rican Embassy, which is because they acknowledge Puerto Rico as a separate country. 
there's all this kind of like crazy political i was gonna say in cuba do you have to do like all kinds of cultural clearance approvals before you get in there Mm. my like my management had to go down there for like a year to like talk to the government to actually like get invited to come it's like really crazy for america to let you go I went illegally kind of with the first one I went, and this time you had to go and be invited and be like a culture. It's really hard because the relationship is really fucked up between America and Cuba. And But we there's like a small window where Obama opened up the opportunities, and then it's closed now after really? we did a concert. Why was that important to you to go play in Cuba? Well, hold on. You shut Cuba down and what you're saying. No, I didn't actually. Rolling Stones <laughs> came by afterwards and did an even a bigger concert, and they, they, the whole thing, they were like, fuck this concert shit. We, we, the kids are like kind of getting empowered a little bit. <sighs> It's getting kind of a threat, but it was the idea was like, let's make Cuba normal for a minute, and then Trump came in and was like, man, we're gonna keep fucking them over. Yeah, that's over because when I flew to Cuba, I had to fly through Mexico City. Yeah, you had to go through Mexico City. You can go through Miami. It's like you can charter a flight. Okay, but or, nowadays it doesn't. Uh, now you can go from America straight to Cuba. Yeah, right. You can't. It's it's the the flight since Trump was in office, you, the flights have like cut down considerably, like probably like ninety percent. But people still go. I mean, there's a lot of Cubans in and out of Miami or out of New York that do business and. Have normal they do normal things to help cuba i'm so interested in just like your work ethic when it comes to touring and stuff because it seems like you have this unbelievable like urge to just perform as much in as many crazy places as possible the average artist would just be like fuck cuba i ain't going to cuba unless they roll out the fucking red carpet for yeah. me i think uh, i'm i mean this life i live is like it's very privileged to be able to tour and have you know do shit like this it's like my dream mm. to like be able to travel i think any young person when i first wanted to be like a musician or a dj i was like this is i want to like hang out with girls and, and travel. Mm-hmm. That was like my dream. So um, I stopped hanging out with girls because they're all annoying. But I think traveling, I can still do and make money. And like my life, it's a crazy lifestyle to be able to like travel and see crazy shit. Like to go to Pakistan or like Saudi Arabia or, um, you know, you know Australia, Japan, wherever, and, and kind of build the music culture and kind of, you know, deliver things to people and c- create stuff is like my dream, I guess. That's crazy. Do you never feel like you get jaded to that experience of like going somewhere new, or, or especially with the I mean, touring thing, you're not always taking in that much of the culture. It's sort of fly by. Lots of thing. times I mention to people like I'd go to Vegas because I have a residency there and it pays a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it, it's like in the, the it's big money, right? But then I go to places like Pakistan or Cuba. We don't make no money. We actually cost us to go there, mm-hmm. but it offsets the idea of like why did I get into this? Why did I want to do this in the first place? Like I started in Philly, like doing house parties and like making my own party and developing something and that was like crazy and like going to places like you know even if baltimore or whatever just like trying to infiltrate little scenes and do my parties and it felt like we were creating something that was brand new mm. and eventually when you go to vegas it kind of feels like you're part of like a, a recycling of music all the time right it's clearly got a lot better but then i just like what do i want to do i want to make i want to make shit and do shit differently and travel and like have this kind of like attitude but that's so I, I don't mind offsetting the pr- the cost of like my money gigs to do some cool shit and like help do cool things for people what sure. is like what's the current vibe like in vegas i mean i feel um I'm, I'm actually lucky i think there's only like probably like 10 djs in vegas that still like are able to like pull a crowd in okay. and stuff um hip-hop it changed vegas a lot i think a lot of times there's a rule i think two years ago where like you couldn't have you, you have to, you got taxed if you had someone holding a mic performing really which is kind of like to tax rapping so like my my venues never had rappers there like they had if I invited like two chains over to come they like I was like yeah we're gonna get taxed by Vegas I think they changed that law recently so they have a lot of pool parties that are hosted by like Ray Schrummer and like Post Malone so rappers have come and changed it up but the thing about Vegas is that if you have like a young crowd like a young rapper a young DJ the clubs don't make that much money because people just buy a ticket and they go there they won't make money on people who go there and like spend rich motherfuckers fifty yeah. to two hundred grand a night. 
and that's how the club makes money and those djs that deliver those kind of crowds are the ones who kind of stay around i'm like lucky because i bring in like ga kids but i also bring in like big ballers from like china or mexico or like people who are there for, to spend money so like, I, i'm lucky i have a cool crowd so i can play cool shit like i played sunday and it was like packed on a sunday night and i played like stuff for my ep and just like weird shit and as long as you're on the mic and kind of like creating the vibe, you can do whatever you want. I'm like lucky I can do it because most most DJs are have to like they have to like struggle to like play pop music and right. keep people there. Um, and the rap shows are short. Like rappers only play for like yeah. you know it's like 15, songs, 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. Like okay, so for for me, for somebody who's sort of like an outsider looking in on like the whole EDM world and everything, was there a bubble that emerged at a certain point in terms of like how much dudes were getting paid and how? Every different yeah. corporation was just really trying to get in bed with the whole EDM thing and just harness that to make money. Was And when exactly did that explode or, or fizzle out I a little think, bit? I think it, it definitely got, like, crazy. It it became so mass-consumed, and it was, like, part of subculture. So, like, if you're the kids, I'm old. I'm, like, almost 40 years old. But the kids, my generation was sort of, like, and kids younger than me were, like, this dance music, whether it's dubstep or house or, like, deep house, which is very popular right now, um, it was, like, their thing. And before that, it was, like, the EDM thing, which are like the commercial or trance music, and so each generation now it's like hip hop. I think hip hop is going to stay a little bit, and then it's going to be something different as well. So each five years, like it turns a corner, right? And EDM like struggled to be big for a long time. Um, and places like EDC, you've been to like EDC before, yeah, that, that festival, yeah, like that that brings in like three hundred thousand kids, and it's mm-hmm. like, but the lineup now this year is like very unique. It's going to be like deep house on the on the main stage, and like there's some rappers there now, but like four years ago it was straight up like the same song for like an hour, two hours, three hours. You didn't even know who, who the DJ was. It was, like, on loop. So I think it got just homogenous when the, when the corporations got involved and made the music, kind of made it so easy and accessible. It just became, like, kids were, like, they kind of saw through it and got bored. Yeah. But what, what's still around is, like, the personality. So I think bigger DJs like Chainsmokers or people like me or Calvin Harris who, like, build a brand that people mm-hmm. kind of, like, can identify with. Because the thing about rap music is when you, like, look at a rapper... If you're a young person, you can like you like idolize that person. You like like what they do. You like their style. They're fashionable. They're cool. They have a vibe. They have a certain swag. DJs never had that. They're kind of like generic, wearing like leather jackets and like same haircut. So I think a lot of young people like they couldn't really tag along. Like I don't want to buy a T-shirt from this DJ, or whatever. You know, you kind of have to figure out like it's kind of like a, the law of merch. If you can buy merch and represent, like a young person can like like invest in that person, the artist. Mm-hmm it stays around, but DJs didn't have that power, really. That's kind of crazy, because in rap, we're, like, constantly dealing with the issue of producers feeling like they're not given their fair share of the credit. You know, somebody comes out, some rapper becomes a huge star. A lot of times yeah. the producer's kind of like a, you know, he's sort of left out of the conversation unless they've made such an obvious contribution yeah. that people have to talk about him, which is it's interesting to see it from, like, the EDM perspective, too, because that's, like, a world where you're kind of forced, for all these producers sort of figuring out how they're going to brand themselves, whether yeah. it's through doing memes online or just their I mean, own personality or being I've gotten, hot or, over the last 10 years i know a lot of hip-hop producers and i've been really close to a couple of them and every almost each one of them at some point always hits me up like how do i tour how do i become like a brand like a, mm-hmm. a young dj young producer and I've, I've seen a couple of them like expand like mustard did a good job i think he kind of like had some people help him like invent like sort of like mustard at a rave like how does it become like how do i make these remixes and play this stuff mike will try is trying really hard to like become i think a like a live touring act too, mm-hmm. um, London on the track. Um, it's it's really hard though. You kind of, I mean, Murder Beats does his thing too. I think it's like it's real small though for some at like some level, but you have to build something beyond like the music because being a producer is like not that exciting. 
you feel like being a rapper is like fucking exciting. That's you got easier like, to wrap your head around it. Like, oh, he literally just spent yeah. forty five minutes on this mixtape telling me about who he is. Yeah, yeah, there was a time too when like Lil John was like, "Okay, I'm a DJ," and like Waka Flocka was like, "I'm an EDM guy." Yeah. like everyone kind of. I mean, just get in where you fit in. I mean, Lil John saw money there. He's gonna go get it. Like Waka Flocka saw like, oh, I can just do raves and get paid like 10 times more than doing like the chitlin circuit or like playing southern shows where i don't even know if i'm gonna get paid at the end of the night so it's an easy choice for him like, i'm gonna go get paid by these kids and it's awesome the energy's high um it turned around though like now like a lot of young rappers even like the hoodest rappers are getting paid and playing like these really awesome shows like headlining a festival or whatever it's mm-hmm. like well here's an interesting thing since you're kind of like a, a visionary in uh in like seeing what's next like what do you think is next if we go edm to rap do you know? Do you like have a, a sense of what might be around the corner in five years? I think some of these rappers are realizing that like it's easy for like the next seventeen year old to come around and take their spot. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are really getting strong at like the internet, like Lil Pump. I was surprised at how crazy and smart he got at the simplicity of like his socials, for instance. Like he was really even so young, and like I'm doing a song with him right now, and it's like. New Nerf Surge Fire with a high capacity rotating drum. The new Surge Fire. It's Nerf or nothing for instance like he was really even so young and like i'm doing a song with him right now and it's like to see him it's hard to figure out like his his management i think everybody's figuring out like wow this it just happened so quickly for someone like him mm-hmm. so i think like watching his socials and like watching him like understand the power he has and kind of like harnessing it is really cool like he, he seems to be I think he's gonna be around for a little while other guys they kind of like get a little lost and they like but like a good, a good example like rich the kid who's been like might be the most the hustling the remix right now this guy is like i've been like feeling phone calls from him from like for like five six years the guy has never stopped so i'm like well just one producer i'm sure he harasses like everybody in the world it's not like harassment he's just like so eager to make it happen he mm-hmm. just works when he comes to my studio he'll cut like 10 songs yeah it's all bad one jam will be in there and i'll be my turn like my turn to turn up and i just love that work ethic like people like him and he's like i looked at his social the day i'm like he's finally got like kids who are real fans of his and like love what he's doing and love his grind he's but such you, a dude you feel like rap is just like expanding and that is the that's the wave for a while yeah i think it's just harder and i think i think what happened with djs is that a couple of djs got in this door when there was like this big expansion and explosion for us and they clocked the door behind them there was like 20 of us that were like and like nobody came in after that it was like martin garrix my and chancellor was like the last guys that kind of like snuck in because we just like we just copied everybody else's styles too. A couple of DJs like, oh, if it's if I'm like a, a big DJ, a certain like trance guy, oh, the hip hop's big. I'll make a hip hop records, whatever it was. Like Zed is a good example who just like jumps on whatever the trend is to be on the radio, whatever. Like they're not even making the records anymore. They're kind of like for a late major label signed a, a young DJ like that. They're like instead of like me signing other DJs, I'll just make this DJ make that kind of music. Right. I think a lot of rappers are too in that same thing. We're like, oh, this style's cool. I'll just do that and kind of like take from whatever that is and close the door and not let anybody else in because it's it's honestly it's it's a free-for-all now any young person could just make a meme or a viral song as a rapper and bam shoot up to the top immediately like you just said the young rapper who was here yesterday like he just went from this to that by dating a girl so mm-hmm. i don't know shout out almighty j you ever hung out with black china i never i never hung out with her no you met her like, I, real I met her probably real quick yeah at party or whatever you know, academics has always posted memes of her being like, is she top five in the game? Is she top ten in the game? And I just feel like that's such a strange question to ask about any woman. Like, I just can't even wrap yeah. my head around, like, who are the top five hottest girls on earth? Like, what the fuck do I know? It's different for every guy. I think academics also is like a guy who's just 
also looking to yeah find He's his stirring much. up the pot. Yeah, yeah, you know? because that's not what he would do five years ago. That's a big thing on Instagram is just to like ask a dumb question or a weird misleading question yeah. in order to get a lot of comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big thing. Though. Filling up your comments is is key to yeah. get interaction with people. You know what I'm saying? So I think he's just trying to. I mean, I remember when Funmaster Flex when I used to follow him on Twitter. I was like, I'll just follow him because he'll say something cool about whatever's happening. Then all of a sudden it became like immediately just turned from like him talking about stuff to like rumor mills about like mm. Elon Musk. Or then like it was like the NASA. Then it was like girls naked. It was like it turned immediately into like a, a social feed for like TMZ. It was, a lot of people who like enter the media world in any sense, they just sort of realize like, oh, the thing that gives you the biggest immediate boost in followers or subscribers or comments or whatever is just to basically you know do the gossip thing yeah but i feel like it sort of sort of shoots you in the foot in the long term because at the end of the day it's kind That's, of hard to hold on to like respect it's also the easiest thing to do you do that and yeah. you're but then you can't come back from it mm -hmm. you can't be like oh you know i'm gonna be like a cult you know some people actually like look at john mayer his feed is like I, I'm, I'm a fan of his but it was like he was just kind of like guitar guy but he's actually like all everything he does is very interesting and smart and i think clever like the way he does stuff and it's not gossipy or whatever it's just like he's able to like re kind of reconfigure what he was as an artist and be be clever on on instagram and on social media so there's ways people to like just be no, be natural be normal i think that they'll gravitate towards you i think the fans can definitely tell when you're when you're struggling for those likes when you're like when you're when you're fishing for, for comments and stuff which is all i see nowadays on but then you also wonder if people are conscious like like is the average fan aware of how thirsty it looks to be like leaving like weird like leading question uh, yeah, stuff I mean, in dude, the comments when, when it's the bikini picture and it's like what's your favorite kind of pizza <laughs> yeah exactly. it's like everyone sees i that. mean there was a great i mean there was a good one that someone sent me the day where it was like a girl like right in front of a mirror with a bikini on just like r.i.p Stephen hawking <laughs> i was like all right i, I loved it i was like this is the best post of the day because i think she even kind of knew it and and just it was a little tongue-in-cheek but i get how that makes sense in their head though too because it's like if that girl were to just post a picture of text that said r.i.p Stephen hawking if she wouldn't get any likes nah, it wouldn't spread at all she knows that the only way least, her post is going to get seen yeah is by doing least, her normal thing i know the girl she was kind of like tongue-in-cheek because she's right. funny but i mean there's ways to manipulate that. I mean, I just want to do a whole, like, month where I just, like, I'm selling fit tea and, like, teeth whiteners for, like, and, and promote my EP, which might be the, might be the way to go. That's probably the look. If, if you make it all about that month. Yeah. That's what I was kind of surprised when I went and looked at Black China's Instagram is that she's, she's been doing quite a few ads on there. Oh, yeah. That's how they get paid. I mean, it's like, it's real life. It's like you turn that in what her power is. is like her social media power is, like... To us, turn it into money. It's the only way to do it. But from your perspective, you wouldn't do that because your long-term branding is too oh, important. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like it's it's that's super corny. I mean, I used to post a lot of girls and stuff. Like, I used to have like about five years ago, I had this EP called Express Yourself, and it was like it was a viral. Maybe six years ago, it was viral. It was, it was a dance like bounce record from New Orleans, and it was like went crazy with girls dancing for it and like being upside down. And, like it was like a twerking thing, and then I just can't even post like girls on already. Like, it's just like not the the mood changed. Mm. It was I didn't know the social climate changed. Things changed. I feel kind of embarrassed. Like, you know, BC Boys just do Fight for Your Right and that vibe. And they were like girls in the video and being crazy. And then they all came out like we were so misogynistic mm. back then. But things were just different. There's a different temperature. And you don't realize the power of those things, those images have till, you know, now it's a really different climate than it was 24 months and ago. Do you feel like you can still joke around online? I or? can't at all, no. I mean, I, I can't. My, my sarcasm is not, doesn't work at all on Twitter. It's, mm. it's really bad. And also, like, I'm a white middle-aged man, too. It's like... 
They don't, I don't have a lot of cultural capital to stand on and say things or be a certain way. Right, nobody wants to hear a 30-something-year-old white guy's, like, yeah. humorous takes on how yeah. hard life is. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I can't, I can't, it's just, I just, I just know where I get, a, I guess I try to get in where I fit and I try to do things that hopefully people can see what I, what I, my perspective on things. But I did do a, a TV show on Vice last year called What Would Diplo Do? It was a funny version mm-hmm. of, like, my life, what it was like. And James Vanderbeek was the, sort of, like, the Diplo. And we have a, a fake Twitter account. That would be what I would say if I was still, because it's not actually me, it's another guy doing it. When I first saw that account, it confused the fuck out of me yeah. for about, you know, 20 minutes. A friend, a friend of the show it. does that account, actually. Really? Yeah, I'll tell I, you later. I think yeah. secret, secret. But he's fucking funny as fuck. Very he funny. has no filter, and he's just, like, shitting on every DJ and, like, everything, and I, I can't do that. Because I really, really like, literally get people, like, text me, A&Rs, be like, can you please stop? Can you, like, back off this guy or whatever? Right. Which happened to me, like, years ago, and I just don't feel like having that negative energy around because yeah. if you do something like that on twitter you just it really just surrounds you mm-hmm. um like i know like you know like someone like xxx temptation like i think he was someone who, who stirred up so much negative energy but not even on purpose he mm-hmm. just was like younger he's like i'll say whatever I'm, I'm ruthless but he became such a big icon and like a voice that everything he said kind of came back to him and i think he feels that effect now like when i see him on on twitter or instagram he's very humble yeah uh, to like extreme extreme humility all the time and and I know the guy from years ago, and I feel like he's really misunderstood in a lot of ways, too. But I, I understand where he came from, where he was, like, like renegade punk, and he was mad all the time, and he was always talking shit like that. And I could feel it. Like, now he's, he realizes it's, that negative energy just doesn't really do much to benefit my career at the end of the day. He had to learn a lot of, like, very, very public lessons in terms yeah. of, like, how to act and, and what the result is going to be on social media. And, and it's weird because, in a way, you know, like, the thing with Drake, it's like he – Sort of, I don't think he's like conscious of like what he's doing when he does something that ends up going viral. Yeah. But the thing with Drake, where he just completely just went on off the deep end in terms of like this and his mom and shit like yeah. that. I mean, that's just like, I mean, that just came to him. Like that's just him. You it's know, like, but it's I, like someone fighting in a schoolyard. Like just do anything yeah. to drag, you know, right. to drag somebody in. He doesn't realize that he has like the capital, so like of, of as Drake now, as far mm-hmm. as like the, the the voice. And Drake's so savvy, he knows exactly what to say and what and just not to say anything ever. You know, he's like. X could learn a little bit from that too. I think he is learning a little bit because as as a creative person, he's one of my favorite guys as far as like creating something out of nothing and just like idea wise, he's amazing. Like he's one of the guys who got me back into hip hop the last couple of years just from his like energy. It's crazy though because even like us agreeing that X is incredible is a controversial thing yeah. these days because you know like his actions just follow him around to the extent where it's like hard for you know I was talking to somebody at like a very large newspaper and they were like man it's tough for us to even write about this SoundCloud rap shit because you know it's yeah. hard like we can't even talk about somebody without acknowledging like oh also they've been charged with this yeah I mean it's one thing to say like nobody is it's America like nobody's guilty till they're proven guilty you know and um he he claims his innocence um. Until 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 the, the verdict is there, I guess he he does deserve mm-hmm. a little bit of like f- freedom to to be innocent until he's not. Um, on the same side, like I know a lot of young black men, especially like I'm coming from Florida too. Like it's it's difficult, like the way he lives and the way he the way his was raised. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's some kind of empathy if to show for him. At the same time, I mean, like there's a lot of I've been around him. There's like a lot of anger inside of him, and he's like violent guys. Maybe not really like physically, but just you can see the rage in his music and his attitude. Um, you know, I'm gonna leave it for other people to like decide if they love his music or not. It's for me, um, I speak as like as far as music reaches me and touches me. And I, I like like people and I like music. You know, I don't I, I kind of like I don't deal with the, 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 the side of what their life and what their history is like. Sometimes I try and I know that's not a popular way to, to talk about things. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, I mean, you like read some of the Quincy Jones interviews and like when, when 
what how people's lifestyles were. Some of your favorite artists like Mick Jagger, the Beatles, like the lifestyles they, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy what kind of shit they were doing back then, and and uh, but their music is revered, and you know, people don't talk about. Did what you, did their you ever get were. too lost and like partying at any point in your life? I never really got really too into partying, you know. Really, I've tried, you know, I've done drugs, and I've done, I've, I've you know, I've done things. I think I just. It, 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 it affected my work negatively. Mm. I used to smoke a lot of weed. My, in my first album, when I was like 20 years old, I smoked, I mean, so much. Like, it was like the, the fiendiest fiend ever. I, was, I smoked until I, I couldn't. I fall asleep every day. And, but I made the craziest music that way. Mm. But then eventually, as I got older, I couldn't be productive anymore to smoke and stuff like that. You just got to, like, find, find a balance in your life. Really? You cut weed out cause, not because it, like, turned and gave you anxiety. You cut it out just because it was... Like taking away your I think when I used to smoke, I didn't have anybody around me. I just smoked by myself, and I smoked and made music, and that was like. But then, yeah, when you're around people and you're smoking, I I definitely couldn't couldn't deal with that. Like it was definitely uh, an issue of anxiety. But then as I got older, I just thought I could make more. I could make. I could just do more shit. That's what I've been going through lately. Where it's just at a certain point, it's like God, just smoking so much. Like it goes from something that you do for a little bit of stress relief, something to do at night, to something that, you know, I'm waking up and smoking a blunt at nine in the morning, and then going to a meeting, and everybody in the meeting can tell that I'm high as fuck. And it's just like, this is not how I should be going out about my life. This is not yeah. ultimately productive. I think I also have two children, and I think doing drugs will give me a lot more anxiety. Mm. It just feels like you have that in behind you, and you know, I feel like um, I can't believe when I, I still hang out with like someone like Snoop, and he's just smoking so much and he right. has such big responsibilities in a life and i mean it's like the second sense to him i think at that point like he's it's part of his life and his lifestyle and his body but i can never i can never do that yeah that's a weird thing i think about rosemary over here he doesn't he doesn't touch the stuff gives me anxiety yeah and it's like i'm already kind of anxious you know so it just makes it worse i think uh if it just was go do it, it makes you feel good i mean well, the problem with weed, I think, is that, like, if someone likes it, they love it, and they don't understand how anyone else wouldn't like it, but it affects everybody differently, like you guys were just yeah. saying, too. Like, well, Snoop obviously needs it. So do you think he needs it just to, like, exist? I mean, yeah. But I feel like if, if in California, there's, I mean, I never experimented with it, but I think there's so many different levels of, of weed to where, like, one weed gives you no effect and, like, literally can make you weight lift. There's, yeah. like, these, like... There's that. so many calibers of weed yeah. that haven't, haven't had time to really experiment with it, you know? Yeah, ultimately, it's just something that alters you. And so, th like, it does something. It does, like, it does change you a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and my, that's a good or bad thing. I don't know. It's up to I'm you. I'm very lucky because my life is very unique. Like, every day is different. So I don't really, I think some people get into it because their life's like a, a circle, right? They wanted to have some change. Yeah. And, like, it's like if you, like, from the, where, where we're from, like, New Hampshire or wherever, if you're living like the Midwest, I mean, maybe drugs, it's like your life literally, it doesn't change and you want to, you want to change something. Mm. So sometimes people move into drugs that way, but I'm, I've been lucky that I just, every day I don't even know what I'm doing. So when I wake up, so I gotta. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, do you get bored? No, nah, I mean, I love being, I'm like waiting to be alone sometimes. It's like good thing, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy to be, to, to have some time off. You know? I mean, because like, you got your label, you got all your, you know, different artist projects, everyone you produce for, you know, all these different things going on. You got the residency in Vegas and all that stuff. Has it ever just become like a shit, I, like, I got to go do this thing. This is like boring. I mean, for sure, Vegas after a little while, you, know, you might be sick or you might be like tired from like traveling and then you have to do Vegas. And you're like, damn, I got to go. I don't feel good. Got a stomach ache. I'm like barely awake and I got to go to play for like 20,000 kids and pretend I'm having fun and drinking, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, eventually you just 
do it. And if you're in the a club vibe, I'm lucky that like the the, the energy kind of affects me, and I'm, I, get, I get into the mood. Very rarely, like sometimes I'm DJing, the sound turns off. Something happens, and it's like people, are, it's awkward, and people are, like staring at me, and like nothing works. That's and I'm like getting back in that vibe is impossible. I can't do it again. Like if something happens, like the lights go off in the first five minutes, I'm like, I get on the mic, do a little banter or whatever, and then it just sucks. That's like that's like the worst vibe. I did this one show in Nigeria once. It was like the one like my like hardest show. I did an Africa tour and I did Lagos, and um, it was like a big thunderstorm and like. They told me, like, it was nothing worked, no lights. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go to this picnic table and just DJ this show. Like, I just go and do it. I got on the stage, like, hey, everything works now. So I'm like, I'm just going to give it my all. Like, these kids are, like, they're probably confused. It wasn't really a big crowd, but they were, like, there to see what this fucking cracker-ass DJ was on stage going to do. So I'm up there, and I just only play it, and I started playing the craziest song I had, but nothing, no speakers worked. It was only a monitor. So I'm just, like, it's in my ears. I'm, like, going, like, crazy. Like, everybody's staring at me. Like, what is this? And they're, like, okay, yo, stop. The, the speakers don't work. Just back off a little bit. And then the guy's behind me is, like, get on the mic and just talk. Go do some banter. So I'm just, like, there in Nigeria. I'm, like, on the mic. And they're just, like, feeding me lines about, like, Big Brother Nigeria. Like, whatever the big jokes were. And I'm, like, doing some punchlines for, like, ten minutes. Like, the guy's feeding me lines. Like, getting the crowd to laugh at me and stuff like that. And, like, did that for a little while and finally the music starts playing and I gotta go back there right. and DJ again and like pretend to have the energy and like for her do, do a show with no lights or nothing and I mean experiences like that you learn a lot you have to like be strong and like perform no matter what you can't have stage fright at that point but there's definitely challenges you know like that was like one of the hardest shows I ever did in my life right like it, no production I thought at least if I was going to Nigeria and I, if like you were doing stand up comedy in yeah. Nigeria <laughs> <It> was like <laughs> I was like at least if I didn't have if people didn't understand my music or like what I was doing I'd have like a light show because that's what they weren't they weren't used to seeing there mm. but nothing worked so I was just literally doing like stand up which is pretty pretty bad that's crazy um, so do you have an album like a rap influenced or primarily rap based that you've been working on lately well i'm putting out an album on, on friday like an ep with just uh hip-hop records that i've done over the last year like records that i've gotten done with like artists i've just been working with like designer was the first guy i kind of worked with because we were in the same publishing company then drum who i've done rec records with metal zan who you guys have a lot to do with i feel like his yeah. success um uh diego yeah so he just changed his diego. name today <laughs> diego. cut his hair Really? He deleted all his Instagrams, cut his hair. Cut his oh, hair. That's a big decision. He, wow. He talked about Tupac once, and then everyone <laughs> wants to kill him. I don't it's, even... He's such an easy target for the, <sighs> the Tupac fans. I think, I think the thing about... Um, but for me, I was, my Tupac story is, like, I grew up loving, like, West Coast hip-hop. Like, I, like... Same. I think the Far Side album was probably the album that made me want to be a producer. I don't know if you guys know the album, Bizarre Ride of the Far Side. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Freestyle Fellowship, and I got into, like... Snoop and Dre, but I never really was into Tupac just because I didn't have any effect in my life. And be careful. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Cause I, actually, I, I chose, I kind of chose over the Biggie too. I was like into Biggie. I was in the East Coast hip hop at the time, but I got into Tupac as a DJ because I was like, wow, this is like, this works. Like this is this, but as like a young person, I'd listen to albums. I didn't really, I didn't, wasn't like a big Tupac fan, but then as a DJ, I was like, became a huge fan because everything worked. So I mean, music just affects you differently, but I was like, I think... I mean, people have the, the right to be fans or not fans of music. That's you know a really saying? good point is that music will hit you at different points in your life. And, like, there's nothing to say that little Xan in five years won't be like, oh, yeah. shit, I missed out on all this Tupac. Or it's connecting now, finally. Yeah. You don't know what It might never connect to them. I mean, like, he, honestly, he learned hip. He, he was born, I'm sure, after Tupac passed away, right? I mean, it was like. He's 21, so. 20 years. Pac died in 97, I believe. 96, yeah. 97. I mean, no one, no one has a responsibility to, like, but music affects everybody differently. Mm -hmm. I think that's like no matter who, where you are, what kind of critic you are, you have to like let people understand that that's that's their right to like whatever 
music. It's not like uh, it's like music police to force you to listen to something. Right. That's what I love about hip hop these days because these kids are like getting they're learning about hip hop through the weirdest ways. Like mm-hmm. all the people on the EP, like I'm I've been listening to hip hop for years, but all the people on the EP like they grew up listening to hip hop at different stages and lives and like. You gotta understand, like, I've been all over the world. I've done rap records in, like, Russia. I've done rap records in, like, with Aboriginal kids in Australia. And each of them, like, learn hip-hop through, like, like post-Eminem. Like, hip-hop belongs to everybody in these countries. It's not like in America we have a different relationship with hip-hop. Um, but everywhere else, it's like, you understand, like, people learn it from, like, they learn it, they, they might learn it from, like, the Russian kid might hear hip-hop in Russian for the first time. They never even knew it was, like, in, Eng- in English. Right. It's like, that's how weird it is and for people. The craziest thing to me is when you see a lot of these, like, other cultures embracing hip-hop over the past few years, or even when you see, like, these YouTube kids getting into it, is that Americans, especially these, like, white Americans, will always have such a different relationship with rap music because it is black music, and most importantly, it's coming from, like, a group that we all agree is like the most marginalized probably in our culture. And that is something that like, you know, a Russian kid who loves rap and sees Takashi six, nine videos and wants to basically make, you know, his yeah. version of that. He has no, it's never probably even crossed his mind yeah. that this is like inherently like black art. And yeah. so that leads them in different directions. It's like rap keeps getting further and further away from, you know, the source of what it started out as. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a hard time looking at it as a fully bad thing because it's like there definitely could be amazing music that comes out of that, even though it is yeah. for somebody like me who grew up like with that reverence of like, oh, this is black music and I'm sort of on shaky ground by even loving it so much. Yeah, so, a lot, a lot think, of kids today's first rap song could be like, it's Everyday Bro by Jake Paul. For real. That's and then true. they move on to I, the more... Yeah, I mean, I think kids are all going to learn because if they, if they love hip-hop, they're going like, to they're they're like absorb it like a sponge. Like They're going to go so far, so deep into it so i don't expect any like 20 year old rapper to know to have the history that we have because we right. have like a reverence for hip-hop and no one needs don't, i mean like a lot of people don't understand the social baggage of like black america's relationship and hip-hop and what it means to be a black american i mean and people always go to like outrage to like to go viral and also outrage instead of just like hey this is a learning point you know yeah. we can just like this is a young guy doesn't know about this older artist why are you so mad just tell him about it yeah. give him a few songs to listen to and then that's I think, it to be fair though what Lil Xan said that pissed a lot of people off was just the fact that he said eh, it's boring like yeah. he, he just didn't even really bother to engage with it and you know for me it's like i could say like oh i'm not a huge run dmc fan run dmc came out before i was really listening to rap so to me it doesn't really like fit into like anything I'm that interested right. in, but at the same time I can read about them and I've like gained an understanding of what yeah. their stylistic change, what their contribution was. And that's the thing that we kind of, you know, we sort of have to try to like lead younger rap fans in that direction, right. even though, you know, it's not a hundred percent going to necessarily take. I think when I grew up, I loved hip hop because I was like obsessed with the graffiti. Like I was like obsessed with the culture. It started with the graffiti for you. Yeah. It started with, I was living in Nashville at the time. And I was like, into, I was like, sounds corny. But I was a break dancing. I was doing graffiti. I was obsessed with the art side of it. Like, I remember this one kid who was, like, a big influence to me. He was this, like, goth guy. He was where he used to wear, like, all black. Wear, like, a black trench coat, long black hair. And he was, like, the dopest graffiti writer in Nashville. And he, like, got hit by a train. But he was, like, he had nothing. I think he listened to, like, New Order only. But he was, like, the guy who, like, introduced me to, like, hip-hop and, like, graffiti. And, like, I was, like, obsessed with the culture, like, what it meant. So I dug into, like, the history. I, like, watched this movie called Style Wars. I got into the history of, like, old-school hip-hop, like, what it meant to be a DJ. And I'm lucky that, like, I learned that way. Like, I'm obsessed with, like, the old records, the old sounds, like, what DJ Premier was doing, all the way to, like, what pe- what the DJs are now. I'm obsessed with, like, even what Murder Beats does and, like, what Q Beats does. And I've always been obsessed with, like, the production side of it and, like, how to create something out of nothing. But if you're, like, a young person, you might just be into face tattoos. You might just, might be, that might be the appeal to you and, like, oh, what are these guys, why do these guys look like this? 
the visual the music. Yeah, like yeah. that. Can just, I got into the visual. I was on the graffiti side of it. But really quick with that train story. I feel like you can hear a train coming, get out of the way. Like, what <laughs> no, happened? He was like, you know, you just, when you're doing, like, graffiti, like, in the, on your overpass, you're, like, climbing, you know, up, up the top okay. of a wall. You might have just ducked in and just, you okay. know, it was, like, a legendary story when, back when I was a young person. Like, crazy. But, I mean, this kid had nothing to do with um, hip-hop, but he was, like, just, I just, like, thought he was, like, iconic guy. Like, he was, yeah. I was, like, 16. I was, like, this, I, was, I just followed the guy, what he did, and the graffiti stuff, so. When I was, like, 15, 16, that was my life. I was, like, going to Boston, going to all these weird bookstores and magazine stores that would have these, like, rare graffiti magazines, which at the time, it seemed like there were, like, dozens of different yeah. graffiti Small magazines. Profit, like, yeah, that all was, these. That was definitely probably the best one. I mean, had the message board. Because they were actually, uh, they were bigger than a graffiti magazine. They were, like, an art magazine. I was, like, whoa, this is, it broke me into, like, I started, like, looking at people like Twister and, like, all these, like, Banksy artists that were just doing weird shit. But that's crazy you mentioned that because when I was younger, this is how old I am, like, I didn't, there was no message boards really. I would, I literally went to Barnes and Nobles and I would sit there for hours after school and like find magazines. Like I was, I was steady the source. Mm-hmm. I'd read the graffiti magazines. I was like obsessed with like political mags, like weird anarchist magazines. And I was like, that was my subculture because I was in Florida and there was nobody else doing Adbusters. Adbusters was, was lit. I loved Adbusters. It was like the, it was like the first thing I was like, whoa, this, it made me open my mind to like, Counterculture. And Florida different always had that sort of like anarchy punk type thing. The whole, uh, were you ever into a crime thing? Crime thing was they, that? They would put out zines about like shoplifting food and sort of like living off the like land. Like real and small shit. zines, right? Like yeah. little like Kinko style. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was part of that that culture. Like I was like a freegan. Yeah, you know, oh, you were yeah, for a while, nice. Where you go dumpster diving and you could eat meat if you steal it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was, was like, a high school vegan, but I never went freegan. <laughs> I've always eaten meat. I was Shut a f- up, meat. four did, years of veganism in high I did, school. I, I can't five. believe it. I can't believe it. I was seventeen or like 20, 23, 24, and I was when I got to college. I was like this is too expensive. <laughs> it literally was like you get fat. I was it like. both your reasons because you didn't want to kill animals, kind of thing? I did read a lot about animal cruelty, and you know, and now that I'm older, I can afford to buy. I, I, I hope decent meat, which is healthy for you or is humanely, uh, you know, resource, but. When he was younger, he's like, fuck this, fuck my parents, fuck this meat shit, fuck this canned food I have to eat, fuck this shit, I have all this shit, and you're just, it's a lifestyle, you're just, it's more like a fuck you to everybody else, not really as much as it is a, the political aspect. Yeah, counterculture shit. I, I was yeah, so I was into, like, vegan hardcore that, to me, it just, like, seemed like, oh, this is an extent, I was already straight edge, it was like, you know, all these straight edge people were just talking about veganism yeah. all the time, and it slowly just got drummed into my brain, like, no, this is, like, the real shit, and, like, how could you not care yeah. about this? It was, if you, if you, like, I was, I fell into the same crew, and it's, like, we had, like, a little commune in Orlando, and it was, like, the guy, like, one guy made buttons and for a living of, like, any band, whatever, bootleg his own bands, and, like, we just, I went to the hardcore shows, too, I was more in a metal, and then hip-hop, and just, we didn't have a lot of shows come to Florida, because Florida's, like, the dead end, you don't go down there, because... You have to turn around. <laughs> like, you go, it's like <laughs> too much to go. It's like too much to travel. It's like a dead end. Yeah. <laughs> so, some, so we had like a lot of local hardcore bands that would just like stay in Gainesville or Tallahassee. And I went to see like I remember seeing like Marilyn Manson. And I was like, when they opened for a band called Ass Suck, which Whoa. is like a metal. Oh, them, yeah. And like metal was big in, da- in like I lived in Daytona, but like Tampa had like a lot of good. I mean, it's a, it, I think death metal started in Tampa. It's like bands like Deicide and Mayhem and. I used yeah, to yeah. fuck with these bands. Um, I fucking love DSI. I just want to throw it out there. really dope. And just visually, all the album covers and shit, it's so far. Yeah, it's crazy that, that, that rappers really gravitated towards, like, like, a lot of Florida metal and, like, metal in general, like, as far as, like, the fonts and the attitude. Mm. I think Travis was one of the first guys that, I don't know if, he actually used to say, I, I checked him out, I just liked the, more, like, the vibe. But he was really honest about, like, his infatuation with the metal 
imagery. But I always try to ask rappers about metal and like try to figure out what their like actual knowledge of it is. And it very, very rarely seems that any of the younger rappers these days have any real knowledge of like death metal and like yeah. actual hardcore. They usually are more knowledgeable about like System of a Down yeah. and like you know some of the fans on the radio. Yeah, yeah. But you know that and that's interesting to me because I feel like a lot of like the death metal sound and stuff is got to be sort of influential on all well, these like I, doom I'm and gloom. I'm surprised beats. that X doesn't listen to it because his music is really authentic like stoner some of the songs are like right. it's like i'm like wow this guy like must really steady it but he really had no idea with these bands it just i think he might have heard it in passing because he's from florida like yeah. i couldn't figure out why he got but if got he heard that. deicide like what would he think he'd probably be like this is, like, this is a little much <laughs> yeah i mean but he i don't know man he seems to be pretty fucking yeah acclimated to anything but I'm surprised that he never heard like real metal because he was he was really close to it when he makes some of the songs. Honestly, it feels like rap rock might come back, or it kind of is a little bit. You but know, Takashi, like, I mean, kind of does feel a little bit aggressive. Yeah. in that sound. And a little but, peep was taking it the other way with the emo. Yeah. kind of rock. It's I mean, definitely coming together in various different strains. I think people where it'll end up. Maybe like a lot of young, maybe it starts with the t-shirt, but I think a lot of young rappers also get into. Um, there's a lot. There's a really cool metal and hardcore kind of like up and coming scene right now. I produced this one group for uh, one song for a group called Turnstile from New York. Mm, who's so good? They were really good. They're kind of like on the more commercial, which isn't commercial at all. But like a lot of young kids who live in the cities are like, yo, they go to one of these shows and they're like, wow, this energy is different. Like, what, I mean, what is you producing a track for them like? I just like listen to a track with them and help them mix it and add some some sounds. I didn't okay. really go in the studio with them and like work on the record. They just asked me for some input on one song and. I, I like their music, so I helped them a little bit. I would love to know what the hardcore community had to say about that because they're just so not into anything yeah. progressive or different. Like, they're produced think, by Diplo. I could just imagine I some think, of the reactions. Turnstile is, is, is a cool enough group where they kind of, like, they they don't give a fuck. Yeah. That's what makes them cooler than the rest. And I think, I think I've also been, have, like, my dirty hands on all kinds of music. People don't give a fuck anymore. It used to be, like, a controversial thing, but I'm just, they kind of accept me as, like, I'm just a, an annoying artist trying to do shit. But, um... I think that the idea of what hardcore is and like the attitude is very important because I think a lot of kids can when they go to their first hip I feel like I, I'm like a like a fifteen year old white kid, I go to like a little yachty show or something, I'm like, What the fuck? Why this is, is my life. Yeah. yeah, like I'm like but I'm like it's also like this is my life now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm about yeah. to take the badge on or I'm living this life. Yeah. Until you move on to something else, but I can see how the the attitude and the energy of hip hop is taking over right now. Do you feel like you were the rich the kid of producers that ever <laughs> probably, like hitting everybody up? Honestly, that's funny. But I think I definitely did everything. I mean, I jumped people like put my name on the EDM world just because I did make a lot of money in that world and I, and I made a lot of songs. But I was only doing it because I, it was there. Like it was there, and no one was doing it. I, I saw like an opening. I just I see shit. I just make music whenever I see it available. You know what I'm saying? It's like I feel like. I've always been a hip-hop producer. And then when club music happened, I was like, I like the energy of these shows. Let me do some of these songs. And I think this group I did called Major Laser was sort of like the mix of all of it, where it was like kind of dance hall and reggae and energy. And then it was like, we did club music too. So it made people come to the shows and have fun at the shows and we could build that brand. Um, this year I'm doing a lot of weird shit. I think the hip-hop thing is just because I did a lot of hip-hop records last couple of years, like I sell beats to people. But then I was like, like a lot of young producers, I'm like, why would I feel like a murder beats or whatever is it is important to build your brand you know what i'm saying as a producer too and you just give away all your records you know i think it's and i've always been like if i want to make records i want to build my brand and like i think this ep also nobody could really find homes for the record we did a record with drum that's like literally a psychedelic rock song that he didn't really couldn't put on didn't fit on his album so i was like let me just put this on myself
Yeah, your your career is kind of it's like hard to explain in a certain way because like some of the random people I've had conversations like yo I'm interviewing Diplo and certain people it's just like oh like you know it it just seems like it's hard for them to wrap their head around how many different projects you've been involved with and how many different genres you've touched which is kind of the opposite of the direction that most people go in where they sort of just double down and just focus on doing the same thing over and over but you have that like inherent confidence in your product that sort of just for, I mean, forces you to go. I'm envious of I'm envious of somebody who can just do one thing though because it's honestly a lot easier like if i was just a young hip-hop producer and i found a sound like when lex luger first came out he was the only he was literally like the trendsetter right right and he did it i mean i think i still talk to him sometimes but i think he could have taken to the next level and just like been so strong on the, on the brand and just take it to the next level it's easier if you did that i've just never been like good enough at one thing i've just been finding like you know my ideas are always stronger than i feel like my music sometimes so if i like have a great idea that's very unique i'll just work on it to be something you know whether it's like like major laser started out like a hobby that didn't think would make sense and eventually we found like the language of it that made it like complete um get like an example is like when i listened to radiohead's kid a i was always like um what the fuck is it it was like such a weird album and then i was like but it but it totally made sense to me it was, I, I was like i want to they influenced me so much because it was so different but it felt like it just felt like normal but then you listen to it back and you're like this is everything's so fucking weird it's not a rock music anymore it's not this or that um, I think Kendrick's another guy who's like can just go out of body with his music. Like when he heard Pimp a Butterfly, I was like, "What the fuck?" It was I didn't like was, I'm never gonna listen to this again. And then I was obsessed with it. Like I listened to it more than any of his albums probably, just because of like the the creative, like how far he went and how he made it strong. You know, and that's not the album he would have made if he just wanted to sell a lot of records. Right. And that's always like the really interesting thing to me is just people who are clearly following their own lead yeah. because they just have to. Kendrick is just like different because he also had damn in the back pocket the whole time of knowing like oh, I'll do this because I'm about to have like number one singles and take over the world anyway. Right. He's a, he's just like one of those guys in the generation that comes only once in a while that's like that has everything the full package you know. Yeah. He's the undisputed king of L.A. Whereas the king of New York is up in yeah. question. Oh no, Takashi. <laughs> I mean, you look at the the streams is alone. It's like the whole East Coast is like I can't believe how that guy took over. Like mm. six nine, it's like crazy. It's insane. It's nice. And people can hate on him as much as they want. And that's why I think it's funny is that he's probably one of the most maligned rappers of our time. Yeah. And it's, it just doesn't matter. Like the numbers I did, just. I, 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 I knew out. about him because the meme was like. Um, when you beat every SoundCloud rapper and you have to final, fight the final <laughs> boss. And I was like, this isn't a real person. But you know, there's, there's <laughs> old memes of him where he was he used to wear these shirts that said STD and HIV on them and shit. And that was kind of like the first time he went viral was for wearing these like outrageous yeah, shirts. Those, like Pyrex knockoff shorts that yeah. said like Pussy Eater or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Wasn't um, there like a bitch-ass N-word shirt or something? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so was, he always was just like being trying to be controversial as possible. I was having conversations with somebody recently who like knows him from back in the day like me. And they well, I've only known him for like a year and a half but they're basically like yo like this is a dude who either would have kept going just trying anything he either would have been the weirdest fucking local dude or he was just gonna make it one day because right. he was just gonna keep trying shit until something worked i mean i, I was attracted to him after that first meme because i was like and i saw how much people hated him and i was like this i got this guy's gonna make it <laughs> i knew that because I, when even when it comes to like producers or young djs i'm like the ones who are polarizing, because yeah. this scene is so homogenous anyway. Like when I was talking about DJs in the beginning of the show, it's you have to find something unique. And so when I first when I signed DJs as like for my label, there was a guy named Rusco. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. Yeah, like a dubstep guy in Skrillex. Even is even a better example. But I didn't sign Skrillex. But Rusco was like people hated him in this like dubstep scene because he was like melodic and bouncy and fun. And I immediately was like, I got to do something with this guy. Mm. Borgo was an example who also people hated him because it was like funny stuff. 
but it was the guy who like was a catalyst to bring dubstep to america because he made it different and he, he was like attention getting you know and skrillex is an even better example because he was the first dj to be like a full-on rock star and look different mm. but he also added up because he made the best music like he had the, the strongest sound but a lot of people hated him even more is skrillex your best friend i haven't talked to him in a while we after we finished our project but he's <laughs> but he's definitely he's definitely like one of my most influential people in like the last like five years of my life for sure like but what he just because of like his attitude and like what he does did you listen to like from first to last back in the day i didn't really i'm a little older it's funny me and him are like the same i'm i'm, I'm like seven or eight years older than him but we started making music at the same time he was like i was like 23 and he was like 16 but like the music was different i was already into hip-hop and he was starting with the like the hardcore and the pop punk so i wasn't really into emo i was more into like metal and stuff from first to last was like a band that i like could not have listened to because the type of hardcore that I was into was very much opposed to they the never, aesthetic never. concerns. Of that. Right in my, my personal lane was right there. Yeah, really. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. I mean, I listened to him afterwards, and I like, got, okay, I can get it, you know. But I emo never really got into it because it was like I was like him. I was it was a different generation. Yeah, I could have got into it, but I was with too many got, angry guys. I was into that like. To me, emo was like the Get Up Kids, Taking Back Sunday, shit like that. But then, like a few years after that, I was already too removed. I kind of lost. And yeah. you know, and in that way, I know what it's like to be like a rap fan that is still like, nah, Wu Tang. Wu Tang is the best. Like, nothing, everything yeah. after Wu Tang suck. Because to me, it's like I liked that era emo, and then the current stuff or anything even after that. It's just like I, I lost track of it. Do you feel like you and Skrillex have to compete at all, or you? Every DJ out there, I'm competing with. Okay. I feel like at every moment. Because I mean, for he's, sure. got, like, he's got his label. You got your label. Yeah. I mean, he's like, you can't really touch him. He's got like, he got like eight Grammys. He's like done like multiple platinum records. As an artist, he's so far. I mean, he's like, he's the, he's like, still for me, he's like probably the best of all the DJ artists. Like, he's gone as far as anybody. He's the most cultural impact as anybody. Like, he's affected people's lives. Like, maybe I said Kendrick Marr was the undisputed champion of LA. I feel like Skrillex four years ago was that. Like, he like changed the face of LA in a way. Like, he represented this downtown sound, like this angry sound and melodic and he did so much for like the city in my world um but things change all the time you know now it's like different it's a hip-hop community here in la and people are more that affects their lives more and everybody can relate to it more and you like i mean like does he have anything that touches kind of like the worldwide phenomenon that was lean on you know he did um i think um bun them maybe with damian marley record but i think I, I was more working in pop music at that point maybe by accident but he was always more of like he was insular, like Skrillex was a whole culture. And I was like a, a producer helping out different cultures, but he was like the culture. Right. So it's different in that way, I think. When you were recording Lean On, did anyone like have any idea? Did anyone in the room be like, yo, this one? No, no way. I feel like when I made it originally, it was like a slow, like reggae song. Like, it was a very like, but the hook was strong. And like for me, when I produce a record, I might write like de a demo or, you know, 50 demos in like a weekend or something and like really small little like to hook or whatever. And then come back to one that might stick in my mind. That was one that, like, a year later, I was like, let's try to make this something different. And then we changed the tempo, and it became the version that you guys heard on the radio. But I never expected it. I mean, the timing was so perfect for the way it was and the way it sounded. And I think that we really attacked, like, streaming services before any majors were into it, and that's why we were able to, like, propel that record. We wouldn't be able to match that again because we did that independently. Major Lazer had no label back then. And um, we really, like... It was like a miracle that we did made the song as big as it was. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. I'm now sure. it's like crazy how much the hip hop guys like. I mean, X like have a number one song right now on Apple Music, and just I would never expect any of this stuff to happen. You know, unbelievable. One hundred twenty-five thousand this first week. 
Nuts. It's like really crazy. His first one, I think it was like 70 or something. I mean, when I, I listened to the intro of the album for the first time, like yesterday on the way from Vegas, I was like, well, this is why he sells that many copies because kids like, he's the most relatable artist in this hip hop scene. Like there's nothing, he's nothing, he's not talking about jewelry and like car, like things that eventually get numb to like all the, the bawling and rap music, but he's literally like, I, I really, he's like not making it up, not reading a script in the intro, you know, he's kind of like, it doesn't really make that much sense either, but you know, you feel like, wow, this guy is saying right. something. Right, and it doesn't matter. Like when I'm doing an interview with him, he'll go on these 15 minute tangents where like, you know, I'm listening and then at a certain point, I'm like, all right, I got to get him to start talking about something <laughs> else because he's just talking about whatever. But then I read the comments and the fans fucking love it yeah. because he's just, and I get so much shit for being so enthusiastic about him. But anytime I go for a period of time without hearing new music from him, and then I'll just hear a couple songs here and then I'll just be like, oh, you know, he's the best. Like he's the best. I can't say the best rapper, but his voice somehow, not his literal voice, but like his means of communication yeah. is just, I feel his like medium so is strong. He's able to, I'm, I'm, I'm like really into like how he's just fearless. How do you feel about him doing a song with you and then putting it out before it was mastered? I mean, I totally <laughs> fucking hated that. But, <laughs> but I mean, we, I, I, the funny thing is I was like, I'm, a, I'm published by this one guy named Ron Perry. He's my homie forever. And he's, he's on Columbia Records now. And, he just like always like I'm like the he feeds me to all the new artists like oh he can work with Diplo too so like he just sends whoever over to my house and that's like an appeal to a lot of people and he came over and we had already like talked when he was in I guess he was in jail on Twitter a couple times and he came over and I was the beat I made was like not good in my opinion I was like this is but he was into it he was totally into it like obsessed he like cut the record real quick I was like cool let me get this vocal and I like I said but you know I work on the song for like six months maybe mm. to make it awesome. But he's very impulsive, and I mean, he leaked. I was like, "Well, fuck! It just sounded like shit." Like, and he pitched it up in between a key where I couldn't even put auto tune on anymore because he like literally just sped it up like in some shitty program. I don't know what he did it on. And I was like, "Well, people liked it or whatever, and it was cool, but it was just definitely like I was like, "Fuck, this sucks." I didn't really want. I wanted to finish it. I wanted to make it awesome. But um, that's the nature of the music he makes. It literally goes from like computer to SoundCloud in 24 hours. That's just what it is, and that's the medium that he does. So I mean, like. I'm, I'm in his world instead of him being mine, so it's I just have to deal with it. When you are home and you have time to yourself, like aside from the actual creative process, making music and stuff, what do you find yourself gravitating towards most in terms of just how you spend your time? The last two weeks has been Fortnite. Really? Like, wow. I've never been to video games, oh, but I shit. got into like this could be a huge collab right now. That game, I'm so trash. Really? Like, like, I'm a, that's why drink, I won't play is because I kind of know how bad yeah, I'm going to be. I'm not good at any video games. I'm so, I can't build or anything. I'm like watching people. I'm like, and I'm, I was, even when you lose, the cool thing is you watch the person who kills you. And, and I'm so like, good. it's so, it's so addictive to watch that person better than you who killed you. And you want to root for them, you know? I have found myself turning into that person who watches videos of it's fucking embarrassing. play. I, me and you, I, I'm like, I can't believe I did. I was like, this is, for so long, I had these two girls in my house that like are like my, one of my best friends. They always like, so smart they're doing such cool shit and they always make fun of like my my assistants who was always on call of duty like you're just so stu you're ruining your life like this is a waste of fucking time and he's always like these guys make like four hundred thousand dollars a month on this and they're just like they hate it. they're always hating on it for doing it and then i brought fortnite over and like these two girls are like literally playing like 12 hours a day really fortnite like watching the videos and like being good at it are your kids fortnite age yet no nah, no nah, they're not my kids i told my son who's probably gonna watch this eventually i told him like Video games make your brain, like, melt in your head. <laughs> and um, still to this day, when he goes to a friend's house, he tells them that, like, I can't play this video game because my dad told me my brain is going to melt. <laughs> and he told me the other day, he's like, I was like, he just happened to mention, I was like, damn, you remember I said that? And eventually he's going to watch this and be like, he knows I was lying to him, but, but for I, now yeah, it works. Like, yeah. There's a way to play video games that is 
a learning process. It's healthy. It's good for you and stuff. But then there's a way to play video games, which is the kind that I have oftentimes gravitated towards in my life, Pokemon where I'll just be, that. yeah, I'm playing, po- I'm playing Pokemon Go for fucking ten hours <laughs> straight for months and months i was about to say weeks no months easily i still look at it from time to time but or even like with tetris like I, as a kid i would get yeah. into these like eight hour sinkholes playing oh, tetris a, with, with, the, with the game boy i was like i would just oh. go is it was gone oh. but i've met a couple artists man the last couple of years who've like ditched their career to go out on call of duty and like they just uh, sit home and smoke weed and play it like they get it's so addictive. They just it's love like, it that much. You can. It's like heroin. You literally can just. Your life can change. Lil Pump is kind of like that with UFC. Well, yeah. It's like really all he does. If you're streaming, playing a video game, and you already have a base, people will tune in, watch, tip you, and also give you tips to get better at the game. Mm. Yeah. It's like you're playing with like you know a thousand people giving you advice. Maybe that's what I should do. I should start UFC sucking game, publicly at Fortnite. That's there's that's only button mash. I can't figure out any skill to the UFC game at all. Yeah, I don't know. I've tried that one. But it's very, like, there's a lot of braggadocia yeah. involved in it where it's, like, I can see why Pump would be attracted For, to Fortnite's it. Fortnite's cool, though, because there's no blood. I mean, I like the... I'm kind of, like, not into video games where you, like, are murdering everybody. Really? It's crazy. I just think it's not... I think it's probably bad in general and influencing on people, but then Fortnite's, like, a... It's like a fantasy world, and you're, like, everybody's dressed crazy, and you, you don't... You don't, no one actually dies, you know? It's, like, kind of, like... It's a little bit safer as far as, like, the imagery and attitude, which I think, honestly, video games can't be deep down inside, like, a good influence on people when you're murdering everybody and your whole, the whole goal is, like, shoot people in the face. What stuff. about one of these games where you're, like, killing the Nazis? You don't think that could help? Because you're also the Nazi on half the game. Right. You I, switch over. Uh, that, no, I, I say this is a complete total <laughs> outside. I haven't played video <laughs> games in so long. It's like, oh, dude, you are Nazis. You, like, and it's the like, coin, yeah, you're... I always play that mode. Play <laughs> no, no, we kill the Nazis. Kill a Nazi. 2018. Um, okay, where were we? We're getting deep on video games. I don't games. know, yeah. I mean, it's pretty insane. I feel like Fortnite is just having a moment, and this will probably be like, you know, it's archived in time, that this was like, oh, they did that interview when Fortnite was really big. Yeah. I mean, it would be like the fidget spinner or the Fortnite, whatever it is. Mm. You, it's, you gotta be careful to not date yourself. Right. And that's like, I me mean, with music especially, I feel like it's it's it, it's so easy. EDM especially, when you hear songs, you'd be like, oh, that sounds like 2011, 12. Hip-hop is gonna feel like that pretty soon, too. Mm. The least generation that we have, that's why... I think Tupac was a, is a very like polarizing person because it does sound like a certain date, mm. and hip hop always has a sound like tomorrow right. or like right this moment. That's why people are so proud of it. They're proud of like the the the, the memes and like the the different you know slang, whatever it happens to be the imagery of like right now. That's what hip hop owns, and that's why the legends can't make any money. Is because exactly. sadly there's not that many people that want to go to a KRS One show. <laughs> Maybe yeah. in New York there is a couple times a year, but like you know, it's not like KRS One can go sell at an arena, even though he's the biggest rapper at a the time. There isn't yet that like legacy market that like the Eagles or Journey has, where right. they can go sell like four hundred dollar VIP. But there's I mean, classic it's, rap it's, radio now. Years ago, you would. Not, I mean, like I don't know when Nas put a new album out. Maybe not right now, but if he did it like last year, he'd go number one because a lot of people who were in high school, that's the music they like. People like are f- kind of frozen at nineteen, twenty. When they're, whatever that music listen to at that age becomes like the, they they listen to that for the rest of their lives. That's why a deodorant brand or like a shampoo brand only markets to like eighteen to twenty four year olds because you lock in on that and then you do that. You're that way for the rest of your life. I think right. it works with music a lot of ways too. Like if you're my dad, you listen to Eagles, and that's like kind of what you. My dad's not trying to listen to Little Pump or whatever, mm-hmm. but I mean, I I'm like just like you guys are. I think we're into music to where we always listen to new music, and that's mm-hmm. what makes us fresh and like have good ideas about what we're doing with music. But a lot of people, when a new album comes out, like Nas or some like legacy artists like Nas, even Jadakiss had a number one record like two years ago when he put it. I was like, whoa, he had that many fans. Um, what was it a number one record with him selling like twelve thousand copies? It was. This is like <laughs> this is like right before I think streaming really skewed it a little right. more. 
But um, actually, yeah, you know what? Like Nas, I guess Jay Z, they get solid staples. Yeah. And like have those like Jay Z. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Jay Z had a, has a harder time because he's so in between like pop music and and real hip hop. So it's like, I mean, you'll find Jay Z tickets on Groupon, and like Lil Pump will be like be scalping tickets for like a hundred dollars to go to the novo you know when I, I went to see pump at the novo recently that was like a, a thing i heard a couple of people say is like yo it's so hard to get in here i seen diplo and they were giving him a hard time about getting in here <laughs> was it Lil i pump? don't know if it was true or no it was a little pump because yeah, i didn't know though yeah because uh this is true i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> cloud test i was in there that was there really early i was there really early i couldn't they couldn't give me like uh for some reason, we got lost because they told me to go downstairs. And you know how you go to the Novo? And I think There's I saw so many you, entrances. I think you, you, the same thing. I think I saw a video where you guys couldn't get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you saw that? That's hilarious. Oh, FYI, yeah. you had the same problem. Oh, but. I definitely did, yeah. But that, that video did like 7 million views, and it was so obvious that Pump was off Molly. And I seen Riff Raff like a week later, and he goes, yo, I love that video, man. He was geeking ahead. <laughs> me wanting to pop one. <laughs> man, Riff Raff, for we me. got to talk about Riff Raff, right? I, right? Right now, I put out Riff Raff's first album, and I swear to God, I'm telling you guys, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. If that album came out right now, yeah, biggest thing that ever happened. You were too early on. If he was, I was fighting fucking this guy forever. Like he's like, I only want to do one hook and freestyle. The I'm like, that's not a song, man. And literally, he was completely right. It was exactly what people wanted. Yeah. And I wasn't right. I wasn't ready for that. I think he definitely. We were too too early on him. And I worked with him on different levels. Like I worked with him like even recently, and I love the guy. He's my favorite human being in the world. Like as far as how witty he is, he's so fast. He's chilled out a bit over the years too. Yeah. Where he used to be a little crazy back when you were working with him and stuff. Man, he used to hide. I had this old studio in Atwater, and it was like the shittiest. Like it was it was an old Beastie Boys like control room, and he used to hide bags of cocaine behind pictures. Like <laughs> we would finally be taped up in like a hole, and they'd be like, I'd be like, what do you? He'd be digging up in somewhere, and he'd always hide it there. But he would be he'd be high, but he would be like. He'd be free, freestyle like for six hours, and some of the stuff would be just so golden. And we made the whole album like in that little studio. I feel like, and it was still. I worked on it so hard. I think I overworked that when we should have just like literally dropped everything he did and kept doing and moving on. When Riff Raff was doing all this coke during the recording process, how much of it were you taking part in? I didn't. I'm not into coke at all. Really? I literally, if I try, I will get sick. But is it hard with somebody like him who wants to stay up recording until eight in the morning? And I can. I'm usually pretty. I kind of take it as like. I can stay up with anybody right. later, no matter what. Riff Raff pushed me to the edge very, very, <laughs> very, very often. But, um, yeah, every time, I'm usually the last person in the studio. Really? But Recently. Riff, Riff put that energy into, like, weightlifting. He did. Went crazy. I don't know what happened with that weightlift. I mean, at one point, nuts. I was really like, this guy's a genius. He's really going to make it to the WWF, and right. the whole thing is going to make me sense. Too. I thought he was <laughs> about think, to be, like, a, a wrestling think, superstar. I think that's a lot. It's a lot harder than yeah. And I got and I started getting to WWF recently, like going to meet and going to some of the shows and stuff. I'm like, damn, this is like a real. It's like a real commitment. You can't be riffraff to do this. It's actually really tough. And they're all on the road 300 days a year and shit. It's crazy and like they. I mean, ha they have to have like real. You have to be the rock. You have to be like personal. Per you have to be on the. You have to be in front of cameras and like really be able to make it. Riff has that. I don't know if he has the commitment to like really not do drugs and be able to wake up and. You know, I mean, I think he's clean now and everything, but he, I think it's really, you have to be strong to do that that process. It feels like he's got a little, like he'll focus in and then have a new project and focus yeah. in and, and then all of a sudden he's country and all of a sudden yeah. it's like. It's I love that. He, I mean, some of the country stuff I've done with him that's unreleased is like pretty, pretty fire. Like he's, he's, he's able to like see things through and he's, he has, he has, he has like the freedom to like try anything, which is, a, which is all I ask for like artists I work with to have that, to let me do something with you or let like be that open. And that's what's. Fuck about what people think about them. Riff Raff actually emailed me an unreleased song he has with Lil Pump yesterday. 
Yeah, he's been trying to put that out forever. We tried to put that record out, but I think Pump wasn't able to do anything with it because of it, with the, all the deal situations he was doing. That right. whole thing with like Pump's it. deal was brilliant. Yeah. He signed a deal, got out of it, re-signed for like 10 times. To the same label. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. That's crazy. Yeah. I definitely, that managed, that that lawyer at the labels, whoever negotiated the first deal was... That's yeah, had a good cut. That was yeah. bad. It's crazy because I hear labels talk about that shit all the time too. Of like, oh, well, if he's underage, we're gonna have the parent to sign, and that's gonna make it a little trickier or whatever. Like, this is something that labels talk about. So the fact that that somehow got through is the craziest thing I ever heard. Well, as a as an old school label head talking to a new school label head, <laughs> any advice? Like, um, don't sign minors, I guess. <laughs> I think that uh, honestly, I don't. I, I'm, like, figuring out how to make a label work is really difficult this, these days and days. I think what you guys are doing, like. Like, you guys are, like, kind of circumventing the whole thing from, like, the media to, like, the, the interviews. Everything you're doing, the, you're kind of, like, stamping on all parts of the culture is the most important thing. It's, mm -hmm. like, you're giving people the whole full access. Um, me, I'm still trying to figure it out. I think we're doing... We moved into, like, weirder music. We couldn't compete with the rap side because rapper... That's what's happening right now. So people want to listen to his rap music, and it's too competitive to, like, sign a rapper. Mm -hmm. The $8 million deal, dollar deal for album is, like, unheard. That's, like, Metallica money back in the day. Like, that's... And I can't even. I used to do like these block parties, and we still do them around the time. But like the rappers were too expensive. We used to be able to bring anybody in, but now it's like I can't afford to have even like a rapper show up. It's like and the exclusivity clauses with all these other festivals it's crazy. and shit. It's just bizarre. It's too competitive to where I'm just like it's not. It's not my world, you know. The rap stuff. Mm. But, I mean, I do my. As I'm lucky to put this EP out because I'm like just doing song by song by each rapper. But signing a full rapper is really difficult. I feel like like you're obviously driven to just be a great producer a great musician sort of thing in general you just have that crazy work ethic that it seems like you would continue to be in the studio and shit even if you had you know cancer that was attacking your your body you would still be in there you'd still be doing that where does the label fit into that like are, do you want that to be part of your legacy like oh diplo yeah he's the dude who also had this label that put out all this stuff is that part of it i think the label was always like i never I started the label many years ago, and I never thought, like, the Diplo name or the producer or any of these other projects would carry over. Mm. I was always like, well, I can work in a label because I'm good at making musical people and I'm good at finding talent. This is a perfect way to, like, have a career and make a little money. I never, I just kind of fell on the wayside a little bit, and thank God I have a great team that's, that's doing it on their own now. Like, I don't work at the label that much. Like, I don't do a lot there. And the whole team is, like, there's, like, 10 people downtown that are every day working hard and making shit happen. But for me, I just, I got lucky that people started listening to my music and I could tour and that's pretty much all I do right now. The label side is just, I throw them some stuff every once in a while, but I used to have to be part of every project we signed because it was like part of like the clause, like if I work with this DJ or whatever, I got to produce them too and help them write. And it's, I don't have the time for that anymore. Mm. Especially with Riff Rap, like the whole contract was like I had to produce everything for them. Right. Which I was always into and like the next one I was like, I can't do another one. Like, but I still love him. I still want to do something with him. I think he was definitely, I'm glad you guys agree he was ahead of the game, but it's definitely, it's hard because he's like, the energy's not the same as it was, mm -hmm. but I think he's got something else to offer. It's just that moment in time was, like, crazy. Like, when he was doing Versace Python and, like, you know... Uh, uh, Who's the first rapper I ever saw do coke in, a, like, a freestyle on YouTube? That was the... Yeah, that he was that the dollar bill sticking out of his nose, and I was just like, oh, my God, I yeah. cannot believe he just fucking did that. I mean, I, that was really controversial at the time. Now it's like... It wouldn't be bad, and it'd still be a little out there for rappers these days, too, but... It's a three. It's like what crosses over, like you and Riff Raff and like Skrillex and these guys who are like very successful in their lanes and, and and can cross all these different lanes is like the work ethic. You know, with Riff, it was like he was doing a video a day for like a year. It felt like you know, 
and just like, go to Venice, yeah. just shoot a video by the beach, and just yeah. put it out the next day. He didn't have any filter on like the quality of the music. He literally, but I think he was really early on. Like it doesn't matter. It all matters that I'm putting these videos. people can watch something new about me and complain about it every day. Yeah, because I mean, on World Star alone, he was like the comments were insane. Like it was like fuck this shit. I'm deleting this app on my program. You know, like, I'm, I hate this. I hate you guys. I hate everything. And people will talk about that great era of Soldier Boy just making a new music video every day, but he was kind of clearly influenced by Riff Raff, or I guess you could say they were sort of feeding yeah. off each other, but was, they had similar was, energy. He was signed. Riff Raff was signed to Soldier Boy. And he put out that one song. For a minute, I, had to, I had to get that deal broken. He goes, S-O-D, sign <laughs> That was the hook, I think. If you think about it, Riff Raff is like you one of the pioneers. That deal, that's amazing. That was kind of like the original, like the now vlogger model, mm. like daily uploads. But I always wonder when videos. a rapper will fully embrace the daily blog, vlogger, FouseyTube, etc., Casey Neistat type. I think model. X kind of does it with his Instagram story. Man, close enough. You're right, but then he also is pretty. He has two million YouTube subscribers just from putting up videos of him. Sometimes playing video games. Sometimes it's just him yeah. talking to the camera. Yeah. yeah, but the Instagram story has sort of become vlogging for the rapper. It doesn't want to produce stuff, you know. Yeah, streaming too. I think also these IRL streamers that are coming out now, I'm obsessed with because I want to see how far that's going to go and how. Many what do you mean? What's, what kind of streaming they do? The dude named Ice Poseidon basically just brings his camera everywhere for like eight hours a day. And kind of walks around. Like a big brother people. kind of thing? Like kind, just... kind of, yeah, but he just has it. And he's, like, doing, like, crazy stunts. So, he'll like, he'd be like, I'm going to live in a van for 48 hours. And you're going to watch the whole thing. And, like, 10,000 people that. will watch the entire 48 hours. Does he make, hours. make music? No. No music. No. He's, he's just a guy. guy. He just he's makes like videos. Boink, and... boink, boink gang. Boink gang. <laughs> boink gang. <laughs> yes, it's actually, it's kind of like that. Gang. His whole boink thing gang. more is that he just walks around with the camera. He's filming himself all the time. If you're just some guy walking down the street, it'll be like, hey, What's your name? Brian. Brian, how you doing? What the fuck is up? Blah, blah, blah. But then, like, I mean, weird stuff happens. And he did. One of the things I thought was really interesting, he did a sleep stream where he slept. And if you donated, I think, $100, you could play a song as loud as you want and it would wake him up and fuck up That's his night. That's amazing. Andy Milanakis said that he spent $1,000 alone just to fuck with him. Oh, shit, yeah. Andy does IRL streaming, basically. Yeah. Well, Andy was, a, was, was is one of the legends. I can't believe how many rappers are influenced by Andy Milanakis. Mm -hmm. They still, like, tell me, like, oh, Andy's, like, the, like he was, like, the guy who was freestyling like crazy shit because I feel like when Andy first came out because I put out the other record with Andy Riff and um, Dirt Nasty was called We Are Farmers well, We Are Farmers I actually rapped oh, on that right. song that, but that record you have to listen to that record we before like classic. State Farm took it down or whatever we, yeah State Farm sued us uh, but we got we put we made another version it wasn't as good but those those, those guys were, were had the energy because Dirt was kind of a businessman Andy was just he, he still had this like weird presence that everybody gravitated towards like yeah. his like even today, I see rappers, they all fuck with him. Like, he was very, he was very, I feel like, influential for some reason. The fact that Quavo would just randomly give him a shout-out is... He's just 100% himself. He's never not yeah. himself, and he's not going to not be him. And then also, there's that, there's, you got to acknowledge that weird off. element of, I like... I got to correct myself real quick. You know, you look sure at Emil Nakis, you're not really sure what's going to come out of his mouth. You it's don't. not like, is it, he's, a, he's completely reckless. There's no filter at all for Andy, and, um... That's, I mean, I was, I was, that was my, when I first moved to LA, those the guys were like, I was like, let me try to help this happen. It didn't really go as far as it could go, but I, those guys, I thought they were very LA, like it was very half Hollywood, half crazy, half hip hop. And now I feel like, yeah, just looking back at that scene, like riffing the, the way they rapped and the way they were trying to do something really far out. It was too spacey. I think now hip hop became a little more swaggier and stuff, but I wish I could have pushed it even further and kind of helped control it. But those guys were kind of uncontrollable. Yeah. 
That was a whole different world back at that time. It was like four years ago, guys. I know, but how come it feels like so long ago? <laughs> it was like, like, that was 2014. Like, nasty. That, that was, was like, even last 2015. It was like three years ago. You know, I went to Andy Milanakis' birthday party recently, and it was this, you know, he had like tables set up at this like Chinese restaurant or whatever, and I get seated right next to Dirt Nasty, and I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to totally like get to talk to this dude. And then they scrambled up the seats. Damn. He's gone. I didn't really get to meet him then. What he's is a, really funny, Dirt Nasty. Yeah, what's he doing now? I think he's acting a little bit, and... He's just a personality. He's just doing shows and doing hosting things. I don't know. He's he's out there. Multi-talented. He's, I work with Mark Ronson on a new project, and they're, they're really good friends. They, they're always out. He's in my studio sometimes. They're nasty. Who do you feel like your favorite working producer is? Oh, actually working still? Because I'm a huge fan of, like, old-school guys like Jay Dilla and, like, Cleveland Quincy Jones. Like, I mean, you got to find, like, the legends, like, even Pharrell. Um, nowadays... Shit, I mean, it's probably like my friends, like people like Benny Blanco mm. and Cashmere Cat, and um, I like I love I like I love Murder Beats. I mean, I, I'm very surprised that he's still coming with a f- like fire. Like he's still every time I hear something new, it's very different, and he's very innovative still. Uh, Metro Boomin, um, that's on the hip hop side. But I'm also more into like the rock and roll producers, people like John Hill and like um, everybody. Mostly the old school guys. Though. I don't think there's a lot of like peers in in my world that are really trying to do lots of different unique things. And, mm-hmm. But, um, cause like a lot, even a lot of young rappers are producing their own beats too. It's crazy. Like that's the, that's the one thing we talk about, like, you know, production and versus like being on the microphone. When, when two rappers collaborate, you know, you hear both their styles on the song, but like the song kind of needs one producer to kind of guide right. that. So it's not really a collaborative process and it's kind of hard. Like, you know, if you wanted to work with a young producer, is there a way that you guys can go about, like, doing that together? I've, I've always, I mean, over my career, I've always sourced, like, younger producers to help me work with records, like, do different things. Like, there's a lot of guys I've signed um, that are, you probably haven't even heard of them. Like, these guys, like, Picard Brothers from the France that are, that are musicians that help me do a lot of cool stuff. When I found Skrillex, I was like, I, I didn't find him, but I, when I first heard his music, I was like, damn, I want to learn what he does. Because it was crazy, the sounds and what he did. And, I mean, we both learned different things from each other. Like, why well, I did more pop stuff and helped the songwriting aspect. He was, like, making the making my weird sounds, like, sound epic and big and, like, rough and cool. So I'm always looking for, like, there's a guy named Sesco, who's, like, a really cool, like, EDM guy who's making, like, kind of weird trap stuff. Um, Alvaro, another guy. There's, like, a lot of young producers in, that probably aren't in your world that I'm always checking out, like, in the dance music world. Kei Tronada is very influential to me. I don't know if you guys heard of him. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a house hip-hop guy. Um... Uh, Black Coffee. I don't know if you guys heard him. He did like a song with Drake. Somebody's like a South African DJ who's like makes the kind of the coolest house music at the moment. I'm always checking out everything though. I mean, I'm obsessed with like all everything across the board. Okay, that's amazing. I like that you're just like are so committed still to the actual music part. Are you like booked up like crazy in your studio, or how do you decide who you're gonna work with on a random night? I've just kind of stopped. I mean, I'm doing French Montana tonight to finish a project for, with him like real quick, but it's kind of like just people I know hit me up to finish things. Like, Quavo was FaceTiming me in Vegas because he just happened to have, like, a studio time. And he knew I was doing a show that night. Um, most things random. I don't think I plan too much, especially with rappers. They just kind of, like, are in studio every night and they're doing their own thing, asking for beats. Right. Um, I mean, mostly it's, like, young songwriters, like people like Julian Michaels I might work with or um, Sarah Aaron's, like, just cool young writers. Stara, I've done a lot of stuff with her. You're probably familiar with her mm-hmm. music. Um, but I'm not really booked up. I'm only working on my own stuff at the moment. Interesting. You know, you mentioned Benny Blanco and Murder Beats, and we got interviews with both of them coming 
Yeah, Bay Block is a huge fan of you guys. Yeah, I fuck with him because he signed uh, Six Dogs, and we had him in here doing the interview. Six Dogs is is crazy. You know, I was reading this book called, like, The Hit Factory. It's all about, like, different teams of musicians who, like, you know, are responsible for huge numbers of, like, number ones and stuff, and Benny was all up in there. Oh, yeah. That was cool. He's everything from, like, Katy Perry, Kiss the Girl, to, like, uh, Ed Sheeran, Castle on the Hill. Crazy. Like, last year. So he's done, like big records every year for like the last 10 years but you feel like somebody like him and i i haven't got a chance to speak to him at great length but he seems like somebody who's very aware of making a hit how to make a hit he's very capable is that an instinct that you don't necessarily have i think we've both done like big records in different ways i think i've always been more like on the outside i've never been interested like when he was doing the more pop music years ago i wasn't really interested in that and we crossed paths a lot of times back i've known him for 10 years i know him before he's big we had a mutual friend named Disco D, who's like this house. This Rest in peace. Yeah, who, who passed wow. away. We He used to be an intern for Disco D. Probably tell me I'm wrong, but something. He worked at Disco D's house, and I used to go to Disco D and try to help him make beats too back then. And I met him through that way, and I was like, yeah, we, we kind of had like a little beef, maybe like from young producers or whatever. But we were always really cool, and he started working on this thing called Spank Rock, which is a friend of mine from Philly. Then he linked up with Luke, Dr. Luke, and then he just became, he just went straight up to like doing number one records. Moved to L.A. for years and just did it. And then I think as the music changed, Benny was able to change too and produce even cooler music and better artists and expand his brand a lot more. Mm. And I was, was like always in the periphery. I never really worked in pop music as much as he did. And recently we've been working in pop music together on different things. But that kind of music, I made my own thing and I think it became popular like accidentally in a lot of ways. And he was always like a catalyst for a lot of the pop sounds. So. Mm. But we're just different. I think he's definitely more, has a more of a pop ear, but we, right now, we're both kind of making the same style of music in a way, and it's, it's a lot cooler than, than pop music, but it happens to be pop, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. But do you not necessarily, like, understand that mentality of people who are just, like, so driven by making hits? Is that something that seems kind of foreign to you? Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not, like, I know it's definitely for a lot of young producers that they're just chasing number ones mm. at all costs, like, at any, 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 any cost possible, like, whatever it means. I've never really cared. I've always made my money on the road. Mm. So I've, it's important to have big records, but I think I can tour a record that like only gets like a million streams, but it's like my fans, and they might they like this ter- certain sound, you know? Right. Mm. Interesting. I've been lucky. I got some questions. Well, this is like more personal, but like you've been linked to some like, you know, bigger uh, female uh, starlets. <laughs> starlets. China. Yeah, not Black I'm look, I DM Black China. She didn't hit me back. <laughs> Did you really? No, I'm thinking about trying. You yeah, still we, just do you, will you, if you like if you like like someone, will you still just hit them in the DMs? Um, I, everybody I've always, all the girls I hung out with, I feel like I've just I met them kind of naturally. I've I've done some rogue DMing before, and it's really embarrassing. Um, rogue, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like it exposed the screenshot. Yeah, like and yeah, but I'm I'm pretty I'm not like a dirty. I'm like some of these guys are just like fucking. Relentless. They don't even give a fuck. Riff will hit up, hit up oh a girl. Oh, my God. Just, every girl in L.A. has got a riff raff yeah. in the DM story. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I don't want to be like that, one of those guys. So I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm pretty chill. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty busy doing my thing. But every once in a while, most of the girls I meet are just pretty, even in the music industry, they're, they're, it's pretty natural, you know. Are you my, like, so does it, are you in a relationship? No, not right now. I'm just, Dating I think stuff. it's impossible to have a relationship in my lifestyle unless I slow down what I'm doing because I really do travel like 300 days a year mm-hmm. and I think nobody would be able to handle that like unless they came with you yeah which is would be the worst ever <laughs> really. yeah, imagine they, she doesn't have her own life yeah imagine your girlfriend like 
comes to your job. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> you're never apart. It was like sitting right here. It could work if you were still in that honeymoon yeah. phase of like, oh my God, I just want to spend all this time with you. But then like, you know, once you start to, like her not being her own person and not having her own life would just ultimately turn you off so hard. I feel it's like. the hardest thing, like to balance like someone's life and your life and what's, who ha what's going on with somebody. And there's, especially when you're working in like entertainment or whatever, it's always, there's always a kind of an animosity against each other's careers. Right. And I've had, I've had lots of girlfriends that did music too, and it's never worked out. Mm. And I think a lot of it, cause also we don't, we, as a, as a musician, I'm a, I'm a producer, but if you're like an artist, a girl, lots of times they don't really see the difference between like their fake life on the socials and being the artist and like being a real person. Mm. And you got to find, it's, it, it's hard to deal with that. Like having them be like the, the personality online and, or not specifically online, but that, 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 that thing people see and being the real person that you guys understand between each other, you know, and never really found that good balance yet. And in your position, it's kind of hard to date anybody. I would think it's like, you know, you've got probably way more money than any, the average chick you're going to talk to you way more busy. And these are things that just seek to like create like huge divides between people. It's like relationships are kind of like a contest of who can care the most or who can yeah. care the less or the least. And, uh, it just kind of ends up that if one person's really busy and has, lots of money and stuff then that's just going to completely just create this divide between you i think i think if you're with somebody um at least in my career like as you all i care about right now is like my career in a way i have two children and like that's like my life for as far as like what i need as far as emotional i feel like I, i'm with my kids a lot and i spend time with them and i don't need much more like i've never been like lonely to where i'm chasing somebody and i'm lucky for that like I'm, if i had that problem i probably would be doing a lot less music i might spend more time but I'm just obsessed with like getting shit done at the moment. But I know that it'll slow down, and hopefully, I think to myself, I don't miss out on any opportunities, and I can mm -hmm. find somebody then. Because right now, I don't really, I don't feel like I need that. You're talking about touring 300 days a year. Is that the kind of thing that you think you're going to be doing 10 years from no, now? No, no way. Really? I've been trying to not. I've been trying to slow down touring, but if it's like if it's out there, like it's 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 you know go get the money. It's like and if you chill for six months, it's like that's going to have a very big impact probably on your bookings and. Yeah, I think, do, I, think, right? I think this day and age, like any young rapper, you have to kind of like keep doing it. Like you have to be a vlogger, like put something out every mm -hmm. fucking day or you're gone. Like, and you're you know? still going to be famous if you chill out for a couple of years, but there's realistically there's going to be other DJs that are going to kind of move in and start to yeah. fill that space well, that you kind of occupy now. That's a good question because like the model, I think, you know, weird examples, but like um, maybe like Blink-182 or like... You just got a residency as well. There's, a, there's something to say about, like, some of the legacy artists like Blink or, like, Fall Out Boy who are able to go away for a go while. Go away for 10 years. Come back. Yeah. There's something different. They, they, they're like the Nas. They like, they, like, affect people's lives. I don't think they're interested in making new fans. You feel like Major Lazer? Nah, we, we, the thing about Major Lazer is that it's, for me, I think it's a little too anonymous. Like, we're big in Europe. Like, we're, in America, we never really had a hit beyond Lean On and Cold Water with the Justin Bieber song. But in Europe, we've had, like... Multiple number ones in every country, like Germany, Scandinavia, London, and we've headlined festivals like giant festivals over like the biggest rock acts, and and that 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 helps us a lot. But I don't think that people really specifically know us as like stars and artists, and I think that that that's detrimental to our brand. Like we can't go away for a long time. So at least that project, like DJs, we kind of like always have to keep putting on music. I think Chainsmokers did it did it right when they, I mean, they could say how they did it right or wrong, but I think them turning into like artists. And singing, whether you yeah, like it or that, not, that was huge. Made them made the people realize there there's something bigger than than DJs, which internationally and the branding wise, they they make fans that way. And that was them. we are farmers for you, man. That was that was when I'm, I was like, Diplo's a rapper now. If I could, I'm in. If I was actually good at rapping, no, that verse was great. It was fire, but it took me like an hour. Oh, okay, to write that <laughs> verse. So I mean, it's not that much.
I mean, most guys when they're like doing rappers, they they know one writes. They right. just they're just guiding in the verse get cut quickly, you know. Like I should be right. I worked with him, and it's like he's really good at at the mix of like going to singing and then rapping, and like I'm surprised he can kind of like do that and find Figure the lyrics. Figure it out on the fly, right? Yeah, that's really impressive. I mean, that's like what young rappers. That's sort of like I think Jay Z was sort of like the first guy to inaugurate that style, and it's kind of like the trend for rappers. I feel like a lot of fans have no clue what the recording process is actually like, and a lot of times when they talk about you know writing and like lyricism and stuff like that, that they're kind of missing out on what the creative process is actually like. Yeah. It's actually usually like rappers just going in there and just throwing paint at the wall. Yeah. Maybe they come in and clean some stuff some, up. Some guys write. I'm sure like Kendrick like will write oh, yeah. and write. I mean, Little Dicky is a guy who it will, will write for like two weeks one song, but it's flawless. Like right. if you listen to Chris Brown song, it's like. Every line is perfect for like the way the video looks. I mean, there's different styles. That song to me just felt so far beyond rap music. It's almost like he just made like a movie, like a like a Everything short film. Everything he does, he, he he thinks of the film for sure. Yeah, but it's. I mean, I love what he does. He's. I was a, a hater for a period of time, not like a huge hater or anything. It's not like I was running around talking about him online or anything, but that Chris Brown video really, like, and just a lot of the videos in general, I've just slowly just sort of been like, all right, you know, I can't deny this one's good. This is good. Oh, I'll do it for sure. Yeah, he was really funny. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, guys, way, he's great. he's really good. I think him and Benny are doing the whole project together, so really? we might get him together. Oh, that's a very interesting concept. I like that you came through with this organic press juice because uh, when we had a yeah. track on here, he actually brought the Juicero. Oh, which he is got a much laid out by that <laughs> a much maligned uh, product. I think he was now. an investor then, right? I, I, was... I told him. I told him from the beginning. He was always trying to push that. I'm like, that's some whack shit, man. You should just fall back from that. I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, what the fuck is it doing? It's just squeezing a bag. Thing, I could squeeze a bag. Let's talk about the economy of that. This juice right here. Then how much does it cost? This one. Thirteen dollars. Seven dollars. Okay. All right. This is actually bigger ones will cost seven dollars. The juicero bags cost 12 and you only get half of what this is mm. i saw that when i was like this is so and you can squeeze it yourself without the machine i knew right away it was a fucking hoax i still want to know what the the argument was because i remember trying to like say that to track like what i was excited could do he that. sold it nicely to me and i could see where someone could get into it because like people buy really dumb shit those there's like stickers you can put on your skin that are supposed <laughs> to change like how you how your mood is and stuff and right. like they're actually selling him on instagram somehow so i could see how it could work, but like I was like, oh, that's just for like dumb people. I, I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, I think juice there was just for people that don't. In LA, there's so much good juice places. I don't know if you guys are into juice, but I'm down with juice. juice. There's so many good places to go get it and to have the machine and to be in your house doing waiting for right. the bag to come is like annoying. If you live in like Nebraska, there's no juice. Maybe it's a good. If you live in Nebraska, you're probably not but, buying a four hundred dollar <laughs> juicer either. <laughs> the head of Juicero, like John Juicero, or whatever, was talking to. Uh, Vice, and he was like, "Listen, yes. it was misunderstood. It, it was it was revolutionary." <laughs> he stuck like, by it, which I kind of wow. like. But they're like, "How? How is it? How is it uh, misguided?" No, I don't want to talk about this. He just he would not discuss it at all. <laughs> but he, he definitely was a hustle, and I think that he he went bankrupt. Yeah, but he's got like some new thing he's doing now. That's that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Is like, okay, you've made plenty of money. What do you actually like? What can you spend money on that makes you happy? Like, do you have any kind of things that you get into that you blow money on stuff you don't seem like you're crazy about the designer shit no i don't i don't really like uh i don't have cars or at least like a tesla i don't really i don't really care about any of that shit i grew up like not really wanting that stuff see i love that i think that if anything i want to invest in more shit like we we made a, a tv show i'm gonna invest more like in creative maybe the next thing is a big movie i invest in or something i think all of, if i do anything i'm gonna invest in more creative things you don't want to like buy an island or anything I'd be so tight to buy an island. Actually, yeah, I think I think I'm, I'm I'm I buy property. You know, 
If you had an island, what are you really going to do with the island? How often are you really going to want to be there? It's yeah. mostly, it's if in it's, your bio, your Instagram. You could, you could make it a destination. Oh, that's true. You make oh, it a fire, fire fest. <laughs> this is a, we can okay. do that. Let me pitch this idea. I wish you were more a part of that. That would be great to talk about. I, I was booked. You were. But you never, you didn't go there? I got. I actually got paid from that. Holy shit. The you first weekend and then, and then we saw it falling apart slowly. We were, we were on the way there. We were like on, we had a jet and everything. Holy and shit. then people were on the ground like, go, don't go. SOS. Like people were telling me not to come. Dude, I would have pulled up and still played it. And been like, I, I care about the fans. I know that you guys <laughs> live in a little shanty sandwich hut. <laughs> my tour manager got merch from them before it all fell down. So he said he had some like Firefest beanies and oh, Firefest yeah. shirts. Super rare. Put that on Grail. Flip that. Well, that is my Grail. Fire yeah. flip, Firefest merch. All right. Anything we should ask before you uh, wrap this up? We're about the hour and a half mark. Know. Wow. We went yeah. this quick. That was a good time. We can do another one one day. Hell I'm yeah. down. I was actually hanging out with DJ Vlad the other day, and I mentioned I was about to interview you, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I did him with uh with Dipple, or with a uh, riffraff one time." Yeah, we did a couple. Me and Vlad did a couple. Yeah. He's, he, I, from when his, his sites first started, I think I was I've always known him. He has. We, we have fifteen hundred videos on the No Jumper channel. He has fifteen thousand. Yeah, he's, DJ Vlad he's, channel. He really got in there early and started just grinded. He's the rich the kid of uh, of lawyers. I don't know. I don't want rich the kid. I don't know if that would be a verb. I'll tell you one thing. I have nothing but love and respect for rich no, the kid. No, I'm saying it's a hustle. And I mean, when it comes to music, I, I said like he made like probably like, he makes the ten songs at a time and they're all bad. But that's like what I do too. Like you have to like rap music. You just cut records. You just keep cutting and then you move on to the next one. He's like the king of like move on. What's the next hustle? Like what's it up? And I think. I was very influenced by him. How he always came over when he was in LA. Now it's like I probably can't even get on the line anymore. You think? I probably uh, could, sure. but he, but he, he did literally. <laughs> at the same time, like my face, my like text message to rappers is so desperate. Like when I talk to people, like my, I have, I have future going on for like as a joke. At one point, I was like fifty un, unread, and one day I, something happened. He wrote back to me. Really? He went, so I was like, oh, it's the same number. So like. I do, I, but I, hey, that's how I get, wise. but then you DM him on Instagram and you're like, yo, you still got the same number? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I, you, you just, that's how I get shit done. I mean, it's like with Travis Scott, we did a song with him for Major Lazer. It was like, he, he, but he comes through, he comes through and then it's just, the guys are busy and uh, mm. I've been there for a long time for a lot of the young guys. So I'm happy that they still fuck with me, but it is like a grind. These guys are like, it's crazy how they've put, how they've gone so crazy and huge in the last couple of years. And I'm just happy that like a lot of these young guys still fuck with me and do records with me is dope. And, and Rich the Kid, for the record, what he has done over the past couple of months or year or whatever is kind of like Quavo's done that for the pop side of things, yeah. where he's become like the go-to guy for if you need a rapper feature. But Quavo is just endless ideas. Like, it's I still like, wow. When like an album comes out, I'm just like, this, this, I'm not into all the songs, but I'm like, he just keeps it moving. When I'm in the studio with those guys back in the day, I remember fucking with Coach K when they first did Bando. I was like in Atlanta, and they're like, can you help me make this record a big hit? I can do a remix or whatever. And I was always, like, fascinated by the style. I never thought it would last. Honestly, I was like, this is cool, but there's something else. And then they just kind of, like, perfected the style, which right. was very unique at the time. There was many different times where Migos were supposed to be dead and their yeah, career was yeah. supposed to be over, and it just didn't take. I think, I think Quavo just will not let it go. Like, he's like, I'm fucking seeing this through, and they, they did, and they became, they're basically the, one of the biggest boy bands in the world now. Insane. Yeah, and like that that video with Drake. I'm assuming you already seen it. Yeah, that's one of the most mind blowing things I've ever seen. <laughs> what the fuck are yeah. they doing? They don't give a fuck. I think that it's the point now where like there's little, there's even more ingenuity happening with like the videos and the concepts, and I'm super happy to see that because it got real boring for a while. Yeah, but with their music videos now, it's like I don't feel like you're gonna see like a boring Migos video again because they've just been going so hard with all the visuals. And I think like when they put out like a 22 song project, like you have to go hard as fuck with the visuals to make certain songs stand out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. True. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, I'm off to do. I'm off to do a video now with uh, Diego. We're finishing the video for our song we did. Oh, oh shit. Lil Xan, Diego, what up? Amazing. That's so cool. He actually, we gotta remind him that we have a bike here for him. We have a BMX bike that Diego, Diego, as I'm now gonna call him, has to come pick up. I'll tell Diego. Him. I'll tell him today. Amazing. Hey, so thank you very much to Diplo. Now a, an actual close personal friend of the podcast. Thank you guys. Now it's not a man. It's not a joke it. anymore. Now it's a real thing. Wow, let's, we have to go to real life to take these earphones off. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, No Jobber, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Thank you very, very much to Diplo for coming through. Thank you to Robesman for coming back, co-hosting with us. Thanks. Dang shit.